0: In this True Crime Law and Order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals. One who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories.
1: Did I talk about the Nexium? You did, yeah. Okay, so we watched a little bit more of that. So I would would say, yeah, I really like that a lot. It's been really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's a documentary, right?
1: Yeah. It's like a little documentary series. It's I think nine, nine parts. It's kind of long. Oh, wow. I was really okay. surprised because the only Nexium documentary type thing I've seen before was like a dateline or 48 hours, which is, you know, an hour long. And yeah, I thought, and this goes, oh, like really in depth. Yeah. Cause I felt like when I saw how many episodes this miniseries was, I was like, okay, I don't know how much more they could possibly say about it that I don't already know. But it's it's pretty in, in, intense, so I would continue to recommend that. And You thought you knew, you, but yeah, had, you had no, no idea. No idea. I'm opening up The Diary. Do you remember when Diary on MTV very first came
0: out? Kind of. Oh my gosh, I remember when it first I'm, came I'm, out. I'm, I it, watched True Life more than I watched Diary. Oh, True Life was... Well,
1: okay. So first I would say... Diary, I always remember when it very first came out. One of the first episodes ever was Christina Aguilera's, and her diary, like, moment that everyone was talking about was like, Yeah, when I went to my own prom, they played Genie in a Bottle, which had just come out, and everybody left the dance floor. I was so humiliated. And I was oh like, my God, I mean, that's sad, you know, that's embarrassing for a teenager, but you're also like, Do you think that's real? Super wildly rich. I mean, I actually do because I went to, uh, I will obscure her name, but I went to high school with a girl who was a very talented singer and who was all about singing all the time in the way that I bet Christina Aguilera was in high school, based on the like diary episode. Really
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically like always singing every chance she got, and despite her talent it was just like a lot, you know, and did all the mannerisms and the Mariah Carey and the finger to the ear and all that, you know?
0: <laughs> and I
1: could totally see something like that happening in my school to her, 100%. <laughs> so
0: can we... Can we talk about the fact I just Googled True Life, the yeah. TV show? When would you guess that it went off the air? Way too late. Because they, I was going to say, True
1: Life I used to love, and then it became like True Life Jersey Shore. Um, I it, bet it went off the air like four years ago, if I had to guess. 2017? Yeah, I'm not surprised.
0: I'm shocked. Well, that is so long. Look at the it's... episode
1: titles from season one versus like whatever the last season was. Because when we were watching it, it was like... You know, I'm not saying that it was like provocative, but it was more interesting. It was like True Life. I have a crazy secret, or True Life. I have a double life, or True Life. I, I'm meeting people on the internet. It was weird, like things, like niche things. Then it became like True Life. I'm going down the shore. True Life. I party a lot. True Life. Uh, my friends are all are all a bunch of, you know, it was like garbage. So yeah. I imagine the last season of True Life was like True Life punk.
0: True Life I'm on Punk'd, and it was just like an episode of Punked. <laughs> one of the most not most recent but one of the like newer episodes. I'm just like quickly scrolling through. One of them is I'm in a fight church. There you okay, there you go. I'm in a fight church. <laughs> that is not a real thing. Is that like Fight Club but in between they're praying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well we can't talk about it oh that's right we're not allowed to talk about it the first scripture of fight church is thou shalt not talk about fight church (laughs) (laughs) amen exactly you could pray on it but you can't talk about it according to the gospel of brad pitt 3784 thou shalt not talk about fight church it's actually in uh in meatloaf (laughs)
1: 416 (laughs) oh man all right do you have any uh, recommendations or or uh, anything you've been kind of
0: We just out? started the new season of The Crown oh, and okay. we haven't we haven't gotten very far. We just watched the first episode, but I it's so funny. I never watched The X-Files as a child mm-hmm. or a young person whenever it came out. And but in my mind Uh, You know what? I did watch a couple of episodes, and I found it really, really, really cheesy, but I probably was watching it like a full decade after it came out. Uh Uh-huh. And so in my mind, I was like, David Duchovny, that's his name, right? Yes. David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were kind of like the level of actors that you would see on Charmed. (laughs) And so now that I'm seeing Gillian Anderson in... Like, The Fall and Sex Education and The Crown. I'm like, she is one of the best actors of our time, I feel like. And so it's just mind-boggling to me that her, like, big thing was X-Files. I know. She's really good. And David is a very good actor, too. Is he? Okay. I haven't yeah. seen him in anything recently, so I don't really know. But she, like, at this point, if Gillian Anderson's in it, I'm going to watch it because she's so phenomenal.
1: Yeah, they were... I mean, the story, I didn't watch X-Files episodically, but when it was on the air, I would catch it on, like, TNT reruns and stuff like that, because I Mm -hmm. just liked that kind of show. It was, like, what you'd put on in the background while you're doing homework. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. But I always liked it, but I would say, yeah, it's very cheesy in the same way that Charmed gets cheesy or starts cheesy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Starts and uh, ends and has like peaks and valleys of cheesiness. (laughs) Right. It's like macaroni and cheesy. But it's not,
1: uh, I would say the acting is pretty good. It's it's the writing and the storylines that are... On X-Files, the acting is good? Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny have uh, some pretty compelling moments, I think. Oh. OK, they always know. talk about their um, I think the, the reason I say that is because you always hear that their chemistry on screen was so good, but they actually don't really care for each other off screen, I think. Oh, really? That's like
0: what people talk about, at least. I mean, you know, I guess if you're having to like fake emotions with some person for 20 years or however long it was on, it probably gets tiresome.
1: yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but that's just like a rumor, I, a rumor
0: I've heard on the on the internets. So. Kind of like how um, Shannon Doherty and Alyssa Milano hate each other from Charmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody kind of hates Shannon Doherty, but I kind of love her. Oh. I really do, do. Do you know she's going through like really aggressive like cancer <gasps> treatment right now? Oh, no. that's do you feel very bad sad. Now. <laughs> No, I don't feel bad because I said I love her. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I I haven't like gotten an update. I haven't gotten an update like we're texting. Uh right. but I haven't read anything lately on how she's doing, but I know that uh she was supposed to be like cast in the new 90210 or something right. yeah. or you know, she was going to have some kind of big role recently and I know that she had to maybe put it aside or kind of like acted through a lot of her cancer treatment. So, I hope oh. she's doing okay.
1: Me too. I I actually really enjoy her as a as a public um, personality. I, I really think she's very, I always love her interviews and she's always hilarious when she's on like, watch what happens and stuff like that. Shannon Doherty. Yeah. I think she's hilarious and she's very, oh. um, self-aware. I think the reason I'll say this is because do you know, uh, I want to say like six years ago, there were these commercials that she did for, um, an online school called like college connection or something like that. Do you remember these? It was really, really cheesy, really, really bad. Like she's in the ad saying like, I can do school even, you know, while I work. And then they cut to a scene of her in this like flapper dress, (laughs) like in a director's chair in front of a mirror when she's got the laptop there. Like she's at like doing school while she's like on set oh wow and the reason i bring it up is because i always thought it was like super cheesy and then she was on watch what happens with andy cohen and he was like of all your body of work that i love so much i have to just show you my favorite piece and he puts that commercial on (laughs) that is so rude she just like has this face like she can't deny how bad it is and it's not even that old of a commercial oh god okay do you think those are on youtube I think, oh, I think so. It's like collegeconnection.com or something like that. And I just remember her being like, what was my role that I was auditioning for? Like, was this Chicago? <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know. Uh, so Okay, I'll have to go look at that.
1: Good, good thoughts to you out there, Sharon and Doherty, wherever you are. Yeah.
0: Do you want to be on the show? I'm sure she does. So Speaking of the show. Yeah. You're listening to it. <laughs> Welcome to Rift from the Headlines. We're a fact and fiction podcast that recaps episodes of Law and & Order and the true crimes that inspired the show. And I'm N, and that's Matt. Yeah, that's me. And one of us is researching the true crime, and the other one is recapping the episode, and this week I am the recapper. That you are. <laughs> any? Um, are you ready? <laughs> I'm, I am ready. I
1: wanted to ask if you have any predictions of what the crime is, or any um, thoughts. No,
0: I don't have any specific guesses. Okay no should i should i know it that will be revealed in time Mm, okay time (laughs) great (laughs) all right well this was season one episode 12 and the episode was called life choice which i just realized is the two positions on abortion so yes life choice you got it just clicked i watched it didn't realize it till now (laughs) so you're all uh
1: experiencing this almost live that's pretty special me processing, me realizing things.
0: Yeah, this like this profound moment you just had. <laughs> Great. I'm really I'm <laughs> I'm glad you're all on this journey with me. You're welcome, so, world. We episode, we episode. We open the episode <laughs> on two beat cops because apparently they can't th- think of anything more clever to do. Uh, this one is going to be <laughs> beat cops. I'm going to say here's my prediction within the next 15 episodes. So probably within the first five episodes of season two, because I think we're about halfway through season one, within the next 15 episodes, we will have another dog discovering something, and we will have at least five more episodes that open with Beat Cops. Okay, I want to write this down. I'm gonna, so I'm going to say a third of the next 15 episodes will open with Beat Cops, Okay. And at least one of the next 15 episodes will have a dog discovering something at the beginning. At uh, well, I mean the dog I'm not going to say the dog starts the discovery, but I am going to say that a dog discovers something important. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So the dog's I'm running right. fingerprint the dog could be running fingerprints in the lab and I will still take that as a win for me. Okay. Oh, uh, that would be amazing. That would be a huge win. Detective Neville in his Sherlock (laughs) costume is running fingerprint analysis in the lab. Hmm. all right so the beat cops are talking about marriage one of the police officers is a woman and there is some like discussion about you know her her dad didn't want her to be a cop or her mom didn't want her to be a cop or whatever it doesn't matter we don't even know these people's names we never do but they are patrolling near a women's health clinic and they see anti-abortion protesters demonstrating outside and then we see a woman walk into the health clinic (laughs) looking about furtively like this is a reboot of spy versus spy and she like ducks into a side room and then the receptionist gets a phone call and is like oh fuck not this again and then they rush everybody outside and the place explodes was the receptionist's response not like oh here we go it's a tuesday yes it was totally it was like oh my god i gotta do all this paperwork now i don't know if it happens as much as it used to like i definitely remember when i was a kid there was a lot more like hubbub about abortion clinics, then I'm and I'm not saying there aren't now because I know there's a lot of legislation trying to shut them down and blah, blah, blah. What I mean is more like the the sort of like bomb threat type um, movement against abortion clinics. In my mind is that ha- that might be happening less, but I, I'm totally guessing it could be even higher than it used to be. But it, like the receptionist makes it sound like this happened like multiple times a day. After the 25-minute title sequence, uh, we see Logan and Grievy arrive at the scene, and they're inquiring with the Bomb Squad about what happened. The Bomb Squad guy is... Uh, I'm pretty sure he's the actor who played Mario in the live-action Mario and Luigi TV show, the Super Mario Brothers TV show, because he he's wearing... He's wearing this like romper that looks like like he does not look like somebody from the bomb squad. It literally looks like they grabbed somebody from like the mechanic shop around the corner to investigate this crime scene. A hundred percent. I was shocked
1: when they started talking to him. I had to rewind for a second because I was like, oh, this is a this is a professional on on the scene.
0: I yes, thought he had it,
1: survived the bombing, and he was, like, covered in
0: soot, and was, like, crawling out of the, <laughs> the wreckage. Yes, his, his hair is very, like, messy, and it, he literally does look like somebody who survived the bombing somehow, yeah. but it's actually the, the bomb expert, I guess. Um, so he says that this bomb was, quote, amateur hour, and it was just a pipe bomb made with fertilizer and diesel? Did he say diesel? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember when the internet was kind of in its infancy... And there was the whole like anarchist cookbook. Do you remember that whole like anarchist cookbook and all this stuff about like pipe bomb recipes? And there was uh, like a big panic about it. Yes, I do. Yeah, I remember like Uh, the videos that were
1: coming out early, early, early. I don't even think YouTube was a a big thing yet. But like when you could stream anything online, and there was like uh, the panic about
0: people putting out how tos of how to create your own bombs, and yeah. So one of the cops at the scene comes up to Logan and Gravy and shows them the ID of the woman who was in the bathroom when the bomb went off. And they don't, like, explicitly say in this moment that she's dead, but she's dead. <laughs> and presumably she's the bomber because she didn't have an appointment at the clinic. Her name on the ID is Sandra Turner, and the ID says she's a student at the University of Manhattan. And also, the ID, they're handing this ID in, like, a plastic bag. and the id is like cleaner and newer than any id that hangs out in my wallet (laughs) like it survived a bomb explosion and it looks brand new so their their prop guy needs to do some work their prop person yeah they could have just soaked it in some tea something you know (laughs) did you ever have do that in like middle school or like ninth grade when you had to like turn in a paper that was like shakespearean and you like a treasure map or something. Yes, yeah, a you, burn map, the you burn edges. the edges. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Okay. So. Ba, 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 da, 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 da. Okay so they show the ID to the receptionist who is despite the fact that she got out of the explosion for some reason in an ambulance getting her (laughs) leg splinted like a bit of a continuity error there uh or something so she says she doesn't recognize the woman like she is it's not a name she recognizes she didn't have an appointment she didn't see her so then we cut to uh Captain Cragen's office because like DA Schiff, he never leaves his office. Uh, and Logan and Greevy are discussing the situation. And Greevy says, as long as the courts refuse to act against abortion, this is going to keep happening. So w- we already get the political positions. Greevy is pro-life, uh, anti-abortion. And Captain Cragen is like, Are you defending these nuts? And <laughs> goes on to point out how there's multiple people involved in this clearly because somebody called in the bomb threat or the warning of the bomb and there was no cell phone in the bathroom when the bomb was set off (laughs) uh which you know in 1990 i imagine the cell phone would have to be a lot larger than the bomb that she brought in so it would have been
1: much more obvious oh the battery
0: alone would have been larger than my iphone (laughs) 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 so uh he does say that there's been eight bombings in the last seven months and they've got six active anti-abortion groups in manhattan to look into so the medical examiner doesn't really give them any helpful information and they also go to the university of manhattan registrar to look up info on the student id that they have and apparently that's also fake because it has a number that they don't use anymore and there's no student by that name at the university and I'm sorry, when they talk to the guy at the, at the like registrar's <laughs> office, they're yeah.
1: like, first they give him a student ID number, and he's like, it's not in the system. Then they give him a name, not in the system. We haven't even had ID numbers that were that long. Then they give him the ID after that, and they're like, isn't this yours? So number one, just give him the ID when you get give there. The what ID. was yeah, the exactly. point of that? What are you withholding it? And then B, the guy goes... Um,
0: Oh, the guy—he look just looks at it and goes, "This is this picture is glued on." Oh, yeah, glued the, the on. The registrar, like front desk person, did detective work that apparently the NYPD couldn't do when he was like, "This isn't even real." Yeah, he just glimpsed
1: at it. He he barely even ran his finger over it. He's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, this is glued on. This doesn't even look like what our IDs are." Yeah, we could have really just expedited that. Yes.
0: <laughs> So then they, so they go to interview some of the abortion groups and we get to a scene where they're like, they are like, we already, okay, this is number four. So they've already done three and haven't gotten anywhere. And they, somebody's, okay, I, I messed up my notes because somebody <laughs> says, I'm here to stop the murder of babies, but I don't note who that is. Do you remember who that is? Is that the the main woman at the fourth clinic? Yes, it's the, um fourth no, it's the,
1: the, orga- the woman at the organization that is trying to Rose Rose
0: Swimmer. Sh- yes, yes. Okay. All right. So Rose Schwimmer is here to stop the murder of babies, and she's kind of the organizer of this group of uh, anti-abortion protesters. And they ask her if the, if she knows a woman named Sandra Turner who belongs to the group, and she's like, "Nope, no Sandra Turner." And Logan asks where she was where she was when the bomb went off, and she says, "I was at Lazy Jane's having tea." There is no restaurant called Lazy Jane's. That is the worst name if, for a restaurant.
1: If there was a place called Lazy Jane's, it would absolutely exist in the city we live. Oh, yeah, A yeah, hundred? Yeah. Yes, for sure. A
0: hundred percent. So Rose asks if she's a subject—no, uh, sorry, a suspect—and says, I guess when you go against the system the way d- we do, you're guilty until proven innocent. And in mm-hmm. that moment, I had to pause and make a note and say, let's again— just contrast this moment with the episodes where Logan and Grievy literally barge into the homes of black men and shove them against the wall with no evidence. So let's calm down the righteous indignation today. Seriously. <laughs> what are you, a crusader? Also, they are treating her with like the softest, gentlest kid gloves throughout the whole episode, and it's irritating. It's
1: like they It's like every time she's on the screen, they just like smear some
0: Vaseline on the front of the already old lens, and she's yes. just like this oh, glowing poor thing yeah okay so they get to they go to lazy jane's the restaurant that she supposedly was at to kind of talk to the wait staff and see if they can verify that she was there and the person they talk to is literally Kristen shawl's doppelganger oh, and yeah. i couldn't i couldn't remember her name i had to google snl baby voice actress <laughs> to fight her And believe it or not, she was not the first one who comes up when you Google SNL baby voice. I do believe Uh, it. (laughs) But she literally looks so much like Kristen Schaal to me. Yeah, I could totally see that. And she says that Roche Wimmer did indeed come in that morning, and her friend came in to meet her and had a box the size of a toaster oven with her. I wonder if it was a Sonia
1: Morgan toaster oven. (laughs) Oh
0: my god. Did that? It never came out, did it? Of course not. (laughs) Okay, It was a cookbook, a toaster oven cookbook, right? It was a toaster oven and a companion cookbook. The cookbook uh, may have come out, actually. Okay. Okay, so... So Logan and Grievy have their kind of back and forth debating the issue, and Logan defends women's rights to have an abortion, while Grievy is saying a bunch of really gross things, like, just because she was careless enough to get knocked up in the first place. And again... <sighs> We've had this conversation before. Like, do you think they're trying? And maybe they're trying to like portray both sides of the issue in a logical or in like a a way that helps you see the debate and helps you see the evolution of the character. Anyway, it's done poorly. Whatever the whatever they're doing. So then we cut to the police property center, which looks like the hangar of an airplane, airplane airport, airport. <laughs> okay. Where they go to check out the car of the woman who died in the explosion. Which, this was a moment where I'm unclear how they made that connection, because all they had was the student ID, and yet somehow, by a car that was towed nearby, they are able to identify that it was hers. Oh, they had her keys. Oh, so it was just her keys and the explosion. They or had her the keys. ID. Yeah, they had their her keys, and then they just started testing um, the keys out in the, like, the, the cars that had been brought in. Gotcha. From the okay. scene of the crime. So in this car, they find a brochure for the, the clinic that exploded. So they're like, bingo, bango, ha-ta-ta, ta, this is her car. <laughs> Literally. i going to get sued by Hey Riddle Riddle <laughs> if I keep doing that. So they're hoping they can get some prints out of the car. So they're kind of like, let's go and dash off into the evening. So they from this are able to determine where this person lived and so they go to this house and it's Mr. and Mrs. Donovan who are the parents of the woman who bombed the clinic. So we learned that uh, Sandra Turner or whatever name she gave is just fake and so her name is actually Mary Donovan and they take them down to the police station where there is more advanced technology than I would have expected when they're, like, d- showing them the body. They, like, press a button and, like, iron gates separate like it's an episode of Terminator or something. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's just, like, a curtain or something. No, There's no—it was weird. Yeah. So—and yeah. again, this is—they think this is the best special effects that they've done so far. They Like, we see her face, and it's clearly, you know, damaged from the explosion. Yeah, I and was— It was, it was pretty like, dramatic and convincing. I gasped. Oh, you gasped. I thought you said, I guess. I guess. guess. (laughs) No, I gasped out loud. It was an audible moment. (laughs) Yes. And also the mother gasps and is kind of overwrought with grief. Yeah. And so after that, they are back at the house interviewing the parents. And they're like, Mary was a teacher. She loved kids. And they ask permission to go into Mary's room. Which is so starkly decorated, it literally could be like a monastery. Oh my god. It was like, as soon as they walked in, if I was the cop,
1: I would have been like, never mind. If I walked in there, I'd be like, never mind, I don't want to be in here.
0: (laughs) It was so oppressive. Yes, it was very uh, unpleasant.
1: And the mom is like, oh, Mary has uh, things about her
0: privacy. And And the dad's like, well, she's dead. So Yeah, I'm like, hi, be a little more sensitive. Like, it's your daughter, too. (laughs) So uh, in the room, they spot a photo of her with a man. And they immediately are like, oh, her brother must own a lumber yard. Because they're like conveniently posed in front of a big sign that says lumber. Right. And that must mean that the brother owns the lumber yard. And that he is her brother. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't know how they even figured that out.
1: Yeah. I have a picture of myself with someone in front of a boat. So that must be my boat and that must be my uh,
0: my, my boat master. <laughs> yeah. Also, boat any master. pictures of me at the university clearly indicate that I own the university. You built it. Yeah. From the ground up. So they <laughs> head out to interview the brother and they he is really uncooperative and kind of aggressive with them and says that Mary's paid enough and, you know, they're like, okay, but she wasn't in this alone. So help us figure out who kind of roped her into this so that we can, you know, get justice for whomever sort of needs it. But he says like, she never mentioned she was part of a group, uh, but, you know, go and talk to the people at the school that she works with. So they head to the school, they talk to the principal. So he says that Mary was kind of young and innocent and a bit naive and she had taken the day off because she had been upset. She had had a fight with her boyfriend, Patrick, who is also a teacher at the school. So they go and talk to him. And he asks, they ask him about the fight that supposedly they had had last week. And he tells them that it was a fight over abortion, that she hates it. And she thinks it's a sin and immoral, but he lives in the real world. Oh. <laughs> So they ask him if she ever mentioned Rose Schwimmer, the woman behind this uh, anti-abortion organization. And he goes, of course, everyone knows who she is. So back to the, to the, uh, uh back to office? the office. Sure. I don't, why my brain is failing today. I'm sorry. <laughs> so they head back to interview Rose again and she says, I didn't provide the fake ID to Mary, but she does tell them, you know, some women carry fake IDs to jump bail if they ever get arrested. <laughs> and they talk a little bit more and she's like, no, I don't know her, but I applaud her results. So she's clearly happy that this happened, regardless of whether or not she knows this person.
1: Yeah, I, I'm
0: very, very, very unapologetic about what yeah, happened. Like, Yeah, exactly. So they ask about the woman that she had breakfast with the day of the bombing, who had carried the toaster oven-sized box, and uh, she gives him the name, gives them the name of Celeste McClure, which is not a real name. No, that's like uh, a romance <laughs> novel name. Yes. see Andrews. <laughs> and then we get a huge guest star walk-in. Did you spot her? No, I don't think <gasps> so. Oh my god, in walks Cameron Mannheim. What? You didn't spot Cameron Mannheim. She walks in with the poster that says, "Look, it just came off the printer." And she holds up the the big like po- poster with Mary's picture and the picture of a fetus and it says, "Neither wanted to die. Stop abortion now." Oh my god, no. I didn't even notice her. Oh my god, it was so funny! I was like, "That's Cameron Manheim." Oh, I wonder what she's doing these days? She was on a. I looked her up just because, in case you were like, "Who's Cameron Manheim?" I wanted <laughs> to be able to reference the right things. But she has done. She's continuing to do stuff. Like she's oh, kind of on. She was on the practice that was like her biggest, um, yeah. most successful kind of thing, and then she's been on some other things like Ghost Whisperer and Person of Interest. So like, and she's still like series regulars on those things. But it's kind of like you know the series that aren't yeah. really like as good yeah oh i love but, her though i love her and my favorite role of hers is the one episode of will and grace <laughs> where she plays a psychic and she is fucking hilarious on that episode uh she's so so hilarious i know so um it's just this weird walk-on role where she's holding this poster and then we cut to the next scene so that was probably one of cameron Mannheim's like earliest uh you know moments La- launching in, pads in, yes So we cut to the community garden where they're interviewing (laughs) Celeste McClure, who she is not a great actor, I didn't think. How dare you. Okay, great. (laughs) She says she didn't know Mary, but she admired her for what she did. So yet again, another person who's like, go Mary, blow up the abortion clinics and... They do, they're like talking to her and then she gets very like, eh, you know, I'm very busy. Goodbye. And just then they look in the garbage pail or like pile of whatever. And they spot fertilizer supplies and exactly the kind needed for a pipe bomb. Right on so the they, top. So exactly right on the top. So Logan and Grievy like wiggle eyebrows in each, at each other in like Morse code <laughs> and they snag the bag of fertilizer and head to a garden supply store to ask more about fertilizer.
1: Yeah, I love how it was just conveniently just like laying on top of the trash can.
0: Like she just yes. used it, just yes. just now. Remind me of that in a in a, a little bit later on when I talk about some weird plot things that happen. Okay, so they head to the the nursery, and the guy there is like, "Oh yeah, this fertilizer is really unique. It's only used for tropical plants. Like nobody would buy it around here." And at the station, they find out that the fertilizer is a match for the bomb. And also there are uh, prints on the bomb that are a match for um, Celeste McClure. So it's kind of like Celeste made it, Schwimmer wanted it all, orchestrated it all happening, and Mary Donovan like carried it in inside and, and exploded it. Exploded it. I mean, what else? What other verb? Detonated? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> So he's encouraging the DA to offer Celeste a plea deal because he's like, you made it, but we, d- we know that there's more conspiracy going on here than this. So, you know, tell us what you know, and maybe we'll go easy on you. She refuses, though. She's very, very indignant. She's very indignant, very self-righteous. She does
1: a lot of, like, quivering eyes and a lot of, like, uh, quick
0: quick head movements that make her hair shake a lot. <laughs> She's very, like, nervous. She's kind of... Amy Klobuchar, or um, (laughs) what's that? Rachel Dratch impersonating Amy Klobuchar. Yes, with the hair. (laughs) Yes. So at the court proceedings, Celeste is being, I guess, arraigned, maybe is the right word. Uh, She's being asked how she pleads to arson and conspiracy, and uh, she pleads not guilty. They set the bail at $10,000, and Rose Schwimmer is conveniently in the courtroom, Which, if you were involved in this, maybe seems like a stupid thing to show up at. But hey. Yeah, maybe you could just wait to hear. (laughs) Yeah. So we cut back to the DA's office, and in a very, very rare moment of self-awareness for Law & Order, DA Schiff says, Look at us, three men talking about what rights a woman should have over her own body. Doesn't that strike you as a little one-sided? I feel like maybe, maybe they had a woman walk into the writer's room for a moment and in this just, episode and like suggest that line because it is far too self-aware for the typical writers of Law & Order. I
1: agree. I would argue she probably slipped into the writer's room and just deleted it and wrote it in herself and they just <laughs> never noticed it. They just let yeah. it go. And then when it happened, when they were shooting the scene, like a few people just kind of like looked at each other, like oh, the guy wow. holding the boom and the guy holding the light, like kind of like glanced at each other, like, hmm? Was that supposed
0: to happen? This, wait, this is law That's and order. That's not We're how this goes. Usually not that aware. <laughs> Ugh. Here is the moment. Stone and Robinette are walking through the courthouse, or wherever they are, some kind of law building, and a young clerk with the energy of Peter Pan just, like, <laughs> appears, like, like magic. Like and is magic. Like, oh my gosh. We found proof that Celeste McClure had bought this fertilizer, and it's a match on the bomb. And he literally, like walks in, hands them proof, shouts that, and walks out of the room. And it this whole episode, have you ever heard the phrase deus ex machina? Like the, the idea that like plots that are poorly constructed need these moments of God in the machine of like intervening and giving them the explanation because it's like too poorly constructed to kind of like survive on its own. I just have just now. Okay, well, <laughs> do you like how I asked and then explained it? Yeah, because... Done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. I have not heard of that. <laughs> okay, so it, I mean, it's it's a it's a common like critique of shitty writing, which is like they weren't doing detective work. Just some random person comes in and is like, did you know? And so it was Peter very Pan, like a uh, golden ticket. Charlie and the yes. Chocolate Factory. Look yes. what we got. Yes. <laughs> or like my favorite movie to point this out. The Bone Collector when at the last moment they were just like, "Oh shit, we've ruled out every person that would make sense to be the Bone Collector, so let's just make it this random fucking doctor that you've seen for 2 minutes." <sighs> Spoiler alert <laughs> from 12 <laughs> for years <a> 30-year-old <laughs> ago. 30-year-old movie. 12? I think it's like 30. I don't know about that. I'm looking it up right now. I, I'm going to stick with 12. Yeah, 12. So you're saying 2008. Yes. Ooh, good, uh, it good, was good 1999. <laughs> 1999. Okay, that was not 30 years ago. It's 21 years ago.
1: Yeah, so price is I right. I was closer rules. than you were. Price is right rules. I won. Price is right rules. Uh, that is not what we
0: agreed on. That's just sort of like an understood agreement. It's the law of the land. <laughs> it's always price is right rules. Okay, well then in any, okay, well then I'm just going to guess $1 from now on and fuck all of you. Well then I'm just going to guess two right after you, I'm going to be that, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> when you saw that moment happen on Prices, right, weren't you just like, you for the $1 person you just wanted to like hand them a knife to like stick it in that person's eye? Oh my god,
1: the the $1 person didn't bother me, the $1 or more than the closest Possible guess always bothered me. Like when someone yeah. confidently guessed like, okay, 1,500, and they're like second to last. And yes. the next person is like, you know what? 1,501. 1501. <laughs> oh, if I was the person before the one-upper, literally, I would just, I'd be arrested because I would have tackled <laughs> the person who just won. <laughs> like, they're like, it's 1,502. I would have, it would have been over. I would have been on this this
0: podcast. <laughs> oh, episode God. of Law and Order. <laughs> Okay, Peter Pan. So uh, after this Peter Pan moment, Stone and Robinette go and talk to Celeste McClure again and her lawyer to talk about a plea deal. Again, saying, like, give us the name of who ordered the bomb because we've got your prints. We've got the fertilizer. Now they're basically saying, like, this isn't just arson and conspiracy. Like, you could go to jail for murder at this point. But she is, like, super down to be a martyr and is like, nope, this is all fine. Like, great. So Robinette goes to talk to Mary Donovan's parents, the woman who died, and they talk about how there was a fight that morning that she died between Mary and her boyfriend. And the dad says that Mary did what she did out of her own conscience, and they can live with that, and so, like, stop prying into this. But they mention... During this fight that there was an envelope that Mary and her boyfriend were arguing over. So they go and ask the boyfriend, like, tell us about this envelope.
1: And it's kind of like...
0: Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Maybe it's the same thing. I was just going to say, like, this whole episode feels like them grasping at straws and running around and not figuring things out until Peter Pan shows up to figure things out for them.
1: Yeah, it felt... It just felt like they didn't really know... Have any idea where to go like until
0: like yes. you said like things they are just their grasping like, at straws
1: they literally get an ID somehow an ID survives the fire like right. an ID <laughs> made of plastic that doesn't melt in a fire but everything else is ob- obliterated but ID is yeah. fine from this you yeah. Know, with a glued on picture and they can't figure out that it's a glued on picture until a guy kind of glances at it and then yeah. they just happen to find out where to go for this and who to talk to for that just by hearsay and they're It just feels so strange. Like, why were they just finding out about a fight with the the girl's boyfriend just now? I know. I know. I don't know. And why? What I was (laughs) going to say is like... I know. I know. I don't know. (laughs) The dad is like so unwilling to help, too. Oh, yeah. like Totally. She's... The the mom is like, you know, extremely stoic and barely moving and obviously like super upset, whatever. And she's like, they had a fight. And the dad's like, oh, they were fine. They were fine. Like...
0: Yeah. So unwilling to help. So, like, your daughter's dead. Yeah. Hello. Hello. So they go and talk to the boyfriend, and the boyfriend is like, oh, it's a brochure. I the, What was in the envelope was just a brochure for Barbados. We were going to go on a trip together. And then, for some reason, he tells them to go to talk to Mary's brother, and—oh, oh, I know, sorry. So the police then go to talk to Mary's brother, who— had been there that morning that Mary and the boyfriend had the fight and kind of like had to break it up. And they're, you know, trying to get information from him on like, what was the fight about? Cause maybe this explains some of the motivation behind what happened. Uh, but they don't give him or he doesn't give them anything helpful. So they think he's kind of part of trying to cover up the crime somehow. Yeah. And he's got an attitude. Like he does. He's really like he, the way he stands
1: in my, in my mind, remembering the episode <laughs> from a few hours mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> the way he stands reminds me of how like characters stand when you're playing street fighter before they start to fight like oh yeah i to the, fight like, like yes <laughs> yeah i feel like the whole episode every time they're talking to him he's
0: like that but yes. i do have to say i thought he was kind of cute disagree oh so <laughs> so peter pan comes in again again <laughs> <laughs> second time they're just like walking and then like poof he appears and it's like hey guys i've got the answer it's because apparently they believe. peter pan should be the lead detective on this case cuz he's the only one figuring anything out well i would argue that maybe some of the detectives have peter pan syndrome oh no <laughs> argue it all you want okay. i'm just not going to listen to it so <laughs> peter pan tells them that the other set of prints on the id were from mary's boyfriend so now they know that he touched her fake ID at some point. So at this point, they're like kind of coming up short on ideas. So they just decide to arrest the boyfriend in hopes that they'll get some kind of confession out of him. And kind of same thing with Mary's brother. And then they engineer a moment where they sort of like get escorted past each other in the police station and they start arguing and the brother punches the boyfriend in the face and tells him to shut up. And then this is where the boyfriend drops the bomb no pun intended, <laughs> that she didn't go there to bomb the place. She was there to get an abortion. And quote, <gasps> she was there to kill our baby. Yeah, that was a weird way he said that. Especially since his next statement is that he gave her the fake ID and the money to have the abortion.
1: And that previously he said he lives in the quote real world. <laughs> right.
0: It was, yeah, I, this episode was not well written. I did like think the this was an a, a interesting twist. Unrealistic, but interesting it, twist. Yes. So then they go back to talking to Celeste McClure and are trying to get her to confess to arson and conspiracy because they're going to bring those secondary murder charges against her if she, but if she rolls on Schwimmer, he'll call for the minimum sentence. And she says, if I had thought anyone would get hurt, I wouldn't have given Rose the bomb. So she's... Kind of turned on Schwimmer, and so they bring her in, Rose Schwimmer, uh, before the court, and they charge her with murder too, along with four or five other charges, including conspiracy. And during the court proceedings, they get the woman from the nursery who says that the day that Celeste ordered the special fertilizer, Rose Schwimmer was there with her. So they've now connected Rose to the purchase of the ingredients for the bomb. Right, because that would be a necessary thing to have, uh, e- to have you both there for that. Yes. Right. Exactly. Again, one of those moments where they clearly just didn't know how to write a a plot, and all of these people are idiots.
1: Right, especially since she said that they had to special order it. And so it's not even like the girl needed to have her there to confirm she had the right product.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Then they get uh, Celeste on the stand, and she testifies to how Rose convinced her that giving the bomb to Mary would save so many lives. And Mary told Celeste to call the clinic and warn them. So... Against the advice of her counsel, Mary, not Mary Schwimmer, sorry, uh, Rose Schwimmer, testifies and her defense counsel asks her if she conspired with Celeste McClure to bomb this and several other women's health clinics. And she says, yes. (laughs) Great. Not the, if you're, anyway. (laughs) Sure did. Sure did. Any other questions? And right, and so then her lawyer is like, "So then are you guilty of all of these charges? Like the, the lawyer at this point is like, "So what are we doing here? What a tremendous waste of resources and time and money. right. like if you were going to admit to it, admit to it like she clear it's not like she grappled. It's weird, okay. So then she says that uh she's n- uh not guilty of these charges, not before God." And goes on this really gross tirade about abortion, and the judge orders her taken out by the bailiffs. But first, Stone asks her, if abortion is murder, aren't you guilty of the murder of Mary Donovan's unborn child? And I guess she must not have known that Mary was pregnant. And so it kind of like breaks her spirit in that moment.
1: Right. She kind of like has this look on her face like she's just been like punched in the gut.
0: Yes. And then the jury comes back guilty on all charges, and that is the episode "Life Choice." Life Choice. I um I read somewhere
1: that this was uh, that Dick Wolf said that uh, this was his favorite episode. Oh, yes, this is his favorite episode of the series. I don't know how long into the series he said that. It was like on some sort of like um, DVD. <laughs> it collection. was this episode. It was up to this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he says it's one of his favorites. I think of the ones so far, I I
0: enjoyed it more than some than many of the others. It definitely felt like one where the police it was kind of a mystery because the police didn't really know what was going on, who was involved and all that kind of stuff. And there was like different convoluted motive motives behind some of the stuff. But I don't think it was like a well written mystery since Peter Pan had to solve the two most crucial pieces of evidence that. Like connected the case yeah, to and who these was he even no, we never know, they don 't even know his name they i don't think they even like acknowledge his presence, I think he's like hey, Greavy Logan, I've solved everything. Here's the envelope that proves it and hands it to them. And then like they, they walk away from him. Like, I don't think they even acknowledge or have an exchange with him during the episode.
1: Maybe he's, maybe he's not even like actually an actor. Maybe he works on set. Like he goes, like before he went to hand them that, he handed coffee to the rest of this, the crew. And uh-huh. then like his last task was like, oh, go hand this to the the actors while they're on screen and see what they do. <laughs>
0: yes maybe maybe they didn't actually have the story like fully written out and they were all just kind of ad-libbing and some guy was like god this is taking so long and he just walks in and goes here's the crucial evidence you're missing and it just kind of moves the episode along this is why it's dick wolf's favorite episode because he didn't
1: have to do as much work on it it was like Like, oh great great." (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) well good Uh, job thank you um are you ready to hear the true crime Ready as I'll ever be. All right. Well, so this is one of the episodes I was anticipating coming across where there's no direct crime related to it. <laughs> the way you said that sounded like diarrhea. Diarrhea crime.
0: Oh, God, that sounds awful. <laughs> oh, diarrhea is even, a crime. I don't against even want humanity. to imagine it. Yeah. Uh, so there's no specific crime that this is that this episode was based off of. Not exactly, but there is okay. a very you know, co- it's obviously based
1: on some sort real of real life events. Abortion like, this does happen.
0: It has happened. Crime.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? It's based off of events like that at the time because it was sort inspired of inspired by true events. Thing. Yes. But uh, there is one sort of event that is cl- most closely related to it that is uh, supposed to be the um, the inspiration. So I went with that. And that is the attempted abortion clinic bombing in Santee, California by Cheryl Sullinger. And the clinic that is mentioned, I've seen it listed as several, as two different names. I think one is like the medical group and one is the actual name of the building. I just chose whichever one was easier to say. So I apologize if I'm misrepresenting the actual name of the clinic. Okay. Uh, The sources for this uh, is our Wikipedia. Can you believe it? (laughs) <laughs> nope. law and order wiki and the um there's a website called operation rescue which i'll get into why i use that um and then there were articles on the associated press from 1988 uh one from the la times one from a publication called good news etc all 1988
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> cute huh <laughs> that is cute. Yeah, not although not if they're so reporting cute. on abortion clinic bombings, it's not apparent that's not good it's news. It's not great news. So and then there's a
1: website called mediamatters.org, um, an article from 2015 I used, and lastly a video and article from the Bridge Project in 2015. Okay. So here we go. According to the data I uncovered, and I am using the word data like very specifically because I want to sound mm-hmm. like researchy. Scientific. Yeah, credible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wearing goggles right now too. Perfect, and a <laughs> lap coat. I can yes. see you right now. Speaking of which, my favorite. Have you been to Disney World in in uh, Florida? I've never been to Florida. Well, in uh, in Disney World in Florida, there's a ride in Epcot. And it kind of looks like a big golf ball. And inside of it, there's a ride called, I don't remember what it's called because my friend Ria, shout out to Ria if you're listening because I miss you and I love you. She called it with her friends Judy Dench's Time
0: Adventure (laughs) (laughs) because it's narrated by Judy Dench. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I want to go on Judy Dench's Time Adventure. It is amazing. She
1: used to work at the park and it's a, a ride I always go to whenever I go to Florida for for disney and it's it's really slow you basically sit in this um egg-shaped thing and you are very slowly guided across um like a dark room that shows like these animatronic people doing things through time so you see how like the egyptians built the pyramids and here's when we became we got language thank the
0: phoenicians Um. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm just imagining the disney version of history. Oh, my God.
1: And this is exactly why I bring it up, because there's a okay. scene, and this is a shout out to Rhea, too. There's a scene where they're, we're supposed to be in, like, the 70s, the 1970s, and they're showing the progress of, like, NASA and the space station and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And the animatronic character that they have in the NASA space station is a woman wearing a lab coat and holding a clipboard. And those are the only two things that make her scientific at all. She's uh-huh. wearing like a short miniskirt, oh, God. <laughs> like a seventies, like Austin powers, mini miniskirt and like mustard oh, wow. yellow top underneath the, uh, Ooh. she's got, I think earrings and a huge Afro. Okay. And she's got heels. I think, <laughs> I think she's okay. got like, fa- she's like a fashion model, but like in a lab coat, <laughs>
0: And holding a clipboard. <laughs> okay.
1: And every time we go past that that section, Rhea always like, we always point that person out. We'll try a picture of that character because it's just so like, where did they find this mannequin and put her in a lab coat? Yeah. <laughs> just throw her in oh, there. God. She's wow. my favorite, favorite
0: moment in the moment Disney in ride. the
1: Disney, in the whole Disney like Disney Park character. <laughs> and that's what? how I feel right now in my lab coat. In my like little uh <laughs> very unqualified scientist mode. Great. That's me right now. Are you feeling it? Are you, are you there? Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm here with you. (laughs) Okay. All that is to say, that is how I approach this
0: whole case. Okay. Like a scientist. Yes. But like one who's a mannequin in a lab coat. Yes.
1: And that's how I approach all the cases. Great. So uh, according to this research, the data shows that anti-abortion violence dates back to the 1970s, and Mm. the earliest incidents are from, surprise, surprise, the United States. Wow. And about 80% of the cases to date, um, probably more, occur in the U.S. So cute.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm 0% surprised by that. Not at all in a report on msnbc statistics uh on abortion and clinic violence since 1977 as of 2015 when this report came out were 181 reported arsons 42 bombings 70 or 17 attempted murders and eight murders uh nice and then since <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like what is going on that is staggering data i was shocked when i saw those yeah. numbers um and then since 1995 over 4700 incidents of clinic violence and 140 clinic blockades have been, have taken place. Yeah. Um which doesn't really totally surprise me because I've I don't think I've ever walked past an abortion clinic or any place that did any work for abortions, planned parenthood, anything where there isn't someone at, like at the yeah.
0: very least handing I out pamphlets when I was a little kid and I'm thinking probably like 7 or 8 I remember there was a group of anti-abortion protesters who literally came to my grandma's street because one of her neighbors was a doctor who worked at a, like, women's health clinic. Mm -hmm. And so they were protesting outside of his house. That is scary. It's really scary. And... I also, I work on a college campus and we very, very often have a lot of pro-life because uh, public campuses are public property. And so a lot of demonstrators will come onto college campuses and are, we are very frequently visited by like pro-life demonstrators who, it often elicits a very upset reaction from our students.
1: Of course. And,
0: and... What's unfortunate about it is they're literally there to get attention. And so when people start arguments with them and like big crowds come because we've had to like break up a few crowds that were like getting really big and agitated, you know, it it really is like they're shouting awful things to get your attention and to be like incendiary and inflammatory to kind of like get a lot of attention. Right. And it's like the more effective thing is like take the air out of the room and don't give them any attention.
1: Yeah, it's like you're almost giving them a bigger platform. Like they right. they don't have access to the platform they want, so they use yes. you in order to get that platform. Exactly. Yeah. It also said online that anti-abortion extremists are currently considered a domestic terrorist threat in the United States. Yeah. And um th- th- but not that it really stops anybody. Um no. and I have kind of a personal story about uh about this. Uh I will I won't reveal who I know this story from but i'm like a few degrees of separation away from the person i'm going to be talking about okay. and uh i know a woman who she worked for i don't know if she does it anymore but at least for a a significant portion of her her time she worked for what was essentially a religious anti-abortion organization And what they did (laughs) was they opened a like, I don't even know what you would call it, like a storefront or like an office space
0: where they like claimed to be an abortion clinic and they actually talked people out of having abortions. Essentially. But even a step further than that, they, they didn't claim to be like
1: directly an abortion clinic, but they positioned themselves very close to an existing abortion clinic and named themselves something very similar to it. Yeah. And then used very similar font and very similar things,
0: like, trying to—it's pretty nefarious, like— Yeah. There are a lot of organizations who do things like that. Like, <sighs> they'll try to talk you out of it, and they'll talk about, you know, random things. They'll, like, force you to listen to the heartbeat of your baby. Like, it's— It's, it's shocking. Awful things. It's shocking. Yeah.
1: And especially—I mean, you know, I know a lot of it already just from, like— existing in in this country but i've i was shocked by some of the things i've i've read when i was investigating this so yeah so this this episode is clearly based on you know attempted acts of violence against
0: um abortion clinic staff or or those going into the abortion clinic and um also before you go on i can i just say one thing which is yes a lot of these like health clinics provide abortion services but the percentage of services that they offer or they like of the per- services they offer, it is a t- tends to be a, a much smaller percentage than, like, cancer screenings and, like, birth control and things like that. So there are so many other medical services essential to women's health that th- the fact that there are so many organizations, like, trying to stop them is, like, a huge, huge detriment to women's health.
1: Yes. And in this case, especially, the the clinic is a, it's a medical clinic that I believe caters to women's health. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always listed as in an abortion clinic and all the paperwork I read, but I essentially feel, I don't know what the better term is. It would like a women's health center or a women's health clinic probably be more accurate, you think?
0: I think I would probably just like reproductive health clinic. Reproductive health. That's probably best. Okay. I'm going to yeah. go with that. I like that. I don't, and that's like my guess. I, if somebody out there is listening and has a better term for that, please tell us. Yeah. I think I'll just say clinic for the rest okay. of it because it's kind of yeah, obvious. Yeah, it works. Um sure.
1: But I would say I agree with that because this clinic is, it's part of a medical group. They offer all types of procedures and this is simply one of the procedures that they offer and the target of this Issue is just one doctor that operates out of that clinic. Yeah. But anyhow, all too often this kind of thing happens, and it's, there's no big picture looked at. It's Yeah. Oh, okay, and I, I haven't mentioned this, but the person who is uh, sort of the main suspect of this case that we'll be talking about, her name is Cheryl Sullinger. Okay. But it also involves other members of the Bible Missionary Fellowship, and it occurred in 1987. So picture this. Santee, California, (laughs) 1987. (laughs) A young God fearing couple lives an ordinary fundamentalist life. Little do they know how explosive things will soon become. (laughs)
0: You're really enjoying writing these little, like, (laughs) Discovery Channel, uh, ID Channel introductions.
1: I am. I would say that's more a Sofia Petrillo uh, Golden Girls moment for me. (laughs) Uh, I have been watching a lot of Golden Girls lately. No no surprise. So uh, not too much is really available about who or what this woman was before she became infamous for this. But the um, Operation Rescue website, an organization that she has a, a close correlation to, which I'll reveal more about later. It says, quote, Cheryl Sullinger has been involved in the pro-life movement since 1984. She founded and directed the California Life Coalition in San Diego and helped to close over a dozen abortion clinics and influence over 40 abortionists to quit the abortion business. Her sidewalk counseling ministry has saved over 2,500 lives. Um, I'd argue that intimidating and showing individuals, uh, like the worst side of yourself. I don't really know if that is like quantifying as saving a life. (laughs) Um, but 2,500 lives saved is a very lofty claim to put on a website. Yeah. Um, but that's how she is described today. Um, on July 27th, 1987, two... A two gallon gas can attached to a pipe bomb was detonated and left outside of the family planning associates medical group clinic in, um, Santa, California. So this story, honestly, I could see why they did the episode a little bit, how they did, um, Uh about the unprofessional way the bomb was made like that. It was, um, they put that guy in, yeah, the amateur hour guy, because (laughs) the way the story kind of plays out this part of it it should just have like that sort of comedy music playing in the background that they used in like charmed commercials <laughs> oh god the bomb that was detonated detonated never went off do you
0: want to know why How was it detonated then well it was lit it oh was li- okay 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 i don't know why i assume that bombs these days are all triggered lit with a fuse but they're like you press a button no I, I, that's probably not it true. may have been it was lit somehow it could have been either been lit remotely or lit
1: like right there um okay but it was you know the fuse was lit somehow. And uh, do you want to know why the bomb didn't go off? They placed it under a water fountain? It, it might as well be. The wind blew it out. <laughs> the wind blew it out. Okay, the wind great. blew it out, so the bomb never went off. <sighs> so amateur hour for sure. Yeah, did they not consider wind? No, apparently not. i It's like was this made by the the guys from home alone? Wiley, it was Wiley coyote. <laughs> it was Harry from home alone. <laughs> so of those involved the person who attracted the or garnered the most attention perhaps by de- definitely by her own device was 32-year-old Cheryl Sollinger. so we'll get to a few reasons why cuz we'll talk about her the most in this um but I want to mention the other names of those involved too so the, cra- the case itself is pretty open and shut. There's really no doubt to who planned the bombing, who planted it, what the intention was. So the trial, the sen- sentencing, all of that, it doesn't really have all the drama involved in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it goes pretty quickly. And comparatively to some of the other cases we've seen, it's there's not a whole lot of hubbub about it. So after about eight months post the incident, Reverend Dorman Owens, who was 54 at the time, He pled guilty to witness tampering um, and concealing uh, a felony. Okay. So he was the leader of this church that all of these people sort of belong to. Um, Mm -hmm. And he got that charge because he had tried to bribe or coerce a member of the church out of testifying at the trial. And that person he tried to bribe was Eric Svelmo. (laughs) That's how I'm going to say it. Svelmo.
0: Okay uh, he was, like Elmo, but with a SV before Yeah,
1: and an E following it. okay, so he was okay. uh 30 at the time, and he was the person who actually planted the bomb and he was seen, he was identified very easily. That's kind of how this all fell apart besides the okay. wind. <laughs> and so he besides that cursed enemy,
0: the wind uh, the wind, it's like signs and the water. <laughs> can we okay, I was never mind. I was going get out, go on a tirade, but I don't want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe later. So
1: uh, Velimo is 30 years old at the time, and he is the one who cooperates with investigators when he's brought in. He receives uh, six months on... I'm an idiot. I wrote on jail, and I'm so confused by it somehow. Oh, in jail. (laughs) Dumbass. (laughs) He received six months in jail and a four-year suspended sentence with uh, five years probation. Christopher Harmon is also implicated. He's 24 years old. Um, His pregnant wife, Robin, is also implicated. She, they were both charged. Joanne Kripal, Kripal? She's 37. She receives 15 months for her part.
0: Isn't that uh, (laughs) the teacher in The Simpsons, Mrs. Krabappel? Oh, I don't watch The Simpsons
1: i know you've never watched the simpsons i mean i've watched many episodes and i think l- later in life i'm like why the
0: hell have i not watched the simpsons because well i mean mrs krabappel was one of the like main characters in the simpsons i mean i probably know, i can picture her because i'm imagining yeah. like an old lady
1: <laughs> oh no teaches. she's not well i
0: mean she's like 40 or something in the show i think all right well i'm gonna look it up <laughs> okay uh in any event if she if the, she have was in the show futurama
1: you do this to me all the time on our other podcast. God damn it. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I've seen okay. a couple episodes
0: with Davey, though, because I just was kind of curious what it was all about after we talked about it. So I, I like. I need them. to keep a list of TV. Sh- Maybe you should keep a list of TV shows I recurringly ask you if you've watched. I should do And the then I'll, I'll, like, post it to my computer monitor so that I, like, don't bother you with it in the future. <laughs>
1: I kind of like it. I like. Okay. So us. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a um, an employee. I guess I shouldn't say employee. I was this person's assistant manager at a, at a Starbucks. He was uh, the in-person version of an online troll. Like, Oh, God. He, I, I have to say I really like him, but he
0: absolutely, absolutely identified how to get under my skin very early when on. When you say like an online troll, do you mean somebody who's just like a little bit annoying to like kind of like dig at people? Yes, or I don't mean like-, like one of those people who's out there trying to like... um take big
1: issues undermine democracy undermine democracy and all those kinds of trolls okay i mean just someone who likes to poke it poke the bear got it
0: okay (laughs) and he
1: just knew how to get to me and everybody knew he did and he just had this way and i i couldn't i couldn't not react to him all the time yeah (laughs) and he would always do this one thing that ended up always diffusing it because i found it so funny at the end of us having like a little argument it was never a big deal it was always like just arguments at work like that i didn't i didn't want to participate in (laughs) and at the end of it he would just go like in the middle of me saying something he would go this is so us (laughs) like just change the whole tone of his voice and do that and i was just like i can't stand you (laughs) oh man shout out to joe Uh. So, uh, I don't remember where I was. Oh, I was talking about the lady with the name. So, okay, so yeah, she Mrs. receives... Uh, yeah, Mrs. Kramaple receives 15 months in prison. <laughs> uh, Randall Sullinger, that is Cheryl's husband, He's 35 at the time. He was also involved in the uh, attempted bombing, but everyone, including Cheryl and everyone else involved, all say that he was like the least involved. He sort of was involved Mm. by proxy because of his, you know, proximity to Cheryl. Yeah. Okay. So everyone, including Cheryl, everyone that was implicated, um, they all accepted a plea bargain together and it dropped the charges of attempted bombing, unlawful possession, and uh, the manufacturing of a destructive device from all of their indictments, I guess, whatever the word is. Oh, and they also got dropped... Um, Two other charges, I'm sorry. Interstate transportation of explosives and conspiracy to bomb. Those were also originally brought against them and dropped.
0: And dropped, yeah. okay. Uh,
1: As a result of this plea bargain. And for Christopher and Robin Harmon and this other conspirator that Uh, the only other people involved. I was unable to see how they were sentenced, but it's very insinuated that they all get some sort of jail time other than Robin, who was like the pregnant wife of someone. As for the main character, Sullinger. So she got her husband involved. He was just the surveillance at the clinic. That's basically what his part in it was. He was surveillance for some time before the bombing just to see the comings and goings of people. And it's not directly noted here, but it seems that there was no one in the building at the time of the bombing either.
0: I believe it
1: was you know, off hours or nighttime. I couldn't find out why, but there's no mention of anyone being in any physical danger in it. And I feel like that would have been something sensationalized. For his part, he receives 18 months in jail and Cheryl, she is charged and receives three years for her involvement um, to be served after her husband so that one of them could, you know, be caretaker to their two young children.
0: Oh, a very Teresa Judice situation. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You
1: know, that's exactly where my mind went. 100%. So uh, Cheryl was heavily involved in all of the planning. She also procured the gunpowder that was used and other materials for the bomb. And after Svelmo came forward, it was also found that she provided him a wig and mask as disguise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So very charmed. Was he also wearing a trench coat and really, really big oversized sunglasses? Yeah. And he had a a newspaper in front of his face that had two little holes cut out.
1: (laughs) So they're described throughout this whole trial as like very good people who did a wrong thing, you know. No, people who <laughs> did the right thing for the wrong, had the right reasons but did the wrong thing. That's kind of like the whole feel of all the reporting. Um, they're sort of displayed, uh, displayed, portrayed as sort of like hapless churchgoers who were ch- trying to play crusader and do something and got got out of control, basically. Yeah, and it since the bomb didn't go off, the seriousness is not is not, not very taken as seriously by the media. It's all of the people who speak out on behalf of them. I saw like three articles where they're described as a bunch of members of quote-unquote F Troop. Do you remember F Troop?
0: No, but I'm thinking of, you know, on, on My Favorite Murder, Georgia periodically, like, talks about how she thinks, okay, I'm not, I don't want to say, like, she thinks this, but I've, I feel like I've heard her say a couple of times, like, why is attempted murder oh yes like tried less than murder like you still tried to do that thing you just fucked up at it right like, y- you're bad at it doesn't mean and and part of me is like sort of feeling that in this moment with that bombing situation is like just because you fucked up and are bad at making bombs doesn't erase the fact that you tried to bomb
1: a building, a building yeah and yes
0: people could have been inside
1: of it <laughs> exactly exactly so that's sort of the the play that um I guess, prosecutors or the defense attorneys were taking and that the media was sort of eating up. Not to say there wasn't a lot of debate about this. Of course, this has been a sensational issue for a long time. And at this time, like we were saying earlier, like... Much more heightened, I think. Oh, my God, yes. It was almost like breaking news. Like, America was being alerted of this epidemic of... I remember when I was younger, and I'm going to be really honest. When I was younger, I was very, very pro-life. Okay. I you know, I grew up in the church and, uh, my view of like reproduction was very different, you know, and women's rights and reproductive rights. And I remember there was a a movie that used to play really late at night, like way late when you're not supposed to be up anymore when infomercials are on. And it was called like a moment of truth or something like that. Mm -hmm. Really, really old, like 1979 type thing. And it was a video, um, like anti abortion sort of propaganda video that played for yeah. an hour, and I watched it a few times, and they show like very, very disturbing images and yes. it really affected me as a kid, and I really thought like, oh my God, this is so traumatic so and awful, terrible, yeah. you know, so I really believed that for a long time, and it really took a long time to sort of dismantle those sort of ideas in my mind and sort of understand that it's a like a circular system that gets people believing that right you exactly. know it feeds yeah. itself, and I remember like i very, very strongly stood on the other side of where I stand now. And I'm, I remember it's media that I was taking in was completely supporting that belief as a young kid, you know? And that's like how it happens. I think, I mean, that's part of how it happens, you know? So I totally, um, remember cases like this being way, 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 way more sensationalized on the news back then.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the sympathy
1: was in the, in the place where we're seeing it now.
0: Yeah. And I, I, again, I don't know if like rates have increased or decreased, but it does feel to me like the conversation has shifted away from like bombing abortion clinics to like legislation to prevent women from being able to access reproductive care. Like it it just seems like there's been a a shift in strategy or at least a shift in conversation. But I don't know if that means things like this happen more or less than they used to. It just seems like it's being covered less, maybe? I think so. I think it's probably yeah. being covered less, and I think that, Because um, certainly there's still blockades and stuff oh, all the time. I've, I,
1: like I said, I don't think I've, I've been to Planned Parenthood for my own reasons, and I don't think I've ever seen someone not outside with yeah, at least yeah. a pamphlet, at the very least. So, yeah. So right before uh, Cheryl had to appear for sentencing, <laughs> this is my favorite, she consented <laughs> to an interview
0: with Good News, etc. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> what even is that that sounds like four seasoned landscaping <laughs> it's like highlights for
1: children but for uh the evangel- evangelical community
0: <laughs> there's a little goofus and gallant and like the timber toes <laughs> oh wow good news etc yeah. it's like they were naming their organization and just like got bored halfway through
1: it's like they were coming up with a concept for a publication and they were like it's <laughs> gonna have like good news you know etc and they Stop. just put that on yeah. like the paper and then they were like well we didn't come up with the name and we want to go to print so like the top of the page says good news etc <laughs> <Good news. laughs> etc <cetera. laughs> and it stuck so what it is, it's just an evangelical monthly um, publication, and she is the only one who has ever done one of these interviews, very voluntary. That's why she is the one who attracts the most attention. Okay. She tells the whole story of why they did what they did, and um, here is the general narrative because she has, you know, she's very much doing this story to push her agenda. So let's sure. cut to the yeah. sort of meat and potatoes. She and her colleagues, um, we'll call them, her, her buddies at the church. Co conspirators. Yeah. They would be doing sidewalk counseling is what they called it. Sidewalk counseling three days a week from six AM to noon. And of one hundred and fifty to two hundred abortions a week, they'd also they would be able to stop between three and six
0: as they supposed. C- Can I just quickly, uh, sidebar that, um, sidewalk counseling is just a fancier way to say harassment. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, her and
1: her colleagues saved, uh, in their words, saved between three and six babies, quote unquote, saved babies, uh, a week. And it was frustrating. It was rewarding, but it was frustrating for them because they saw like 200 people go in a week. So they were so stressed and overworked by this experience. That And people were so mean to them and so cruel to them and so cruel in general. And they had been issued a restraining order from another center in Hillcrest. So they had no choice but to go to this one because they were more effective there. Mm. And um, at this place, they didn't have a restraining order and they were able to be right at the door. So that's why they went here. And they were so stressed. And they came up with the plan collectively. Um, but she says that her husband, again, was not really involved. And she also claims that no one um, wanted to actually, like, do it. No one had the cojones to, like, actually plant the bomb. So it was sort of sort of like an up-in-the-air, like, fantasy thought that they all had in their mind. Until Svelmo came along, and he really, really, really wanted to do it. <laughs> that naughty, naughty Muppet. Yeah, the one who, who uh, you know, was the the one who spoke out against them, she says, he was the one. It's all him. He was the one. Uh They came up with the idea, but he was like, I really want to actually do it. You guys are just thinking about it. I'm going to do it for you. Yeah. Otherwise they never would have done anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, like, playing – she's playing into the whole, like, we were just, like, figuring it out as we went along. We didn't know what we are doing. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're harmless. And she also says that they were doing it to prevent a particular doctor from practicing in San Diego ever again. And if this bombing had happened, his already challenging insurance rates, which they knew about because they investigate these doctors relentlessly, they would go up. And he wouldn't be able to afford them. He would have to rent somewhere else, and no one would rent to him because of all of his insurance issues. So they. If they do this, they eliminate this doctor from practicing in San Diego, and then they only have one clinic that, in their area that they can all focus on collectively and maybe take the stress of how traumatizing it is to work these sidewalk uh, days, three days a week, six days a week, uh-huh. whatever it is, uh-huh. okay? So that's, that's, their, that's her whole thing. It was so traumatizing for them. And they were just doing what they, they thought was best and whatever. If it's so
0: traumatizing for you, maybe stop doing it.
1: Right, right. Because you know what? You know what was traumatizing? They were under citizen's arrest many times for what they were doing. They couldn't take a break. So the person who interviews them is like, well, why didn't you take a break? And she's like, we couldn't because, you know, their consciences wouldn't allow it because it was important work. It was hard, but they had to do it. They felt like they had a moral responsibility. So she realizes that going to trial, they'll likely lose. And so that's why she says that they all took the plea bargain because it was the deal that they all had to take it or no one got it. Right. So yeah. they okay. all accepted it and she was actually like an early acceptor. She was ready to go right away because she said I she knew that they would lose 100%. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so – Um, She expresses remorse for her methods, and it even says currently on the Operation Rescue website, on her profile, it says, "...in a 1987 act she now regrets. Solinger was charged and pled guilty to conspiracy to damage an abortion clinic. Even though the clinic was not damaged, Solinger took responsibility for her actions and served two years in federal prison." Since then, Solinger has openly denounced violence as a means to stop abortion and has worked for over two decades as an advocate of peaceful activism as a means to save babies and stop abortion. So they really have the spin factor real quick on that yeah. for uh I mean it's smart because this is obviously an organization that is active that she's a very active participant in, so better to identify it because obviously it's not it's public record. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what the claim is is how she is now, like she's peaceful d- regrets it, however, she has not remained out of criminal activity um at okay. least speculatively, and she's certainly not been a quiet figure who wants nothing to do with the limelight. so she kind of reminds me of Bernard Getz from a previous episode, so oh yeah, she ends up moving to Wichita, Kansas in two thousand and three. She became senior policy advisor of Operation Rescue with Troy Newman. Mm -hmm. Troy Newman is a very, very, very outspoken and famous anti-abortion activist. He's famous for doing things uh, with his organization Rescue that he founded, uh, such as driving trucks with images of aborted fetuses on them around sporting events, schools, (laughs) concerts, and large public gatherings. He's also been implicated in the conspiracy and carrying out of the murder of abortionist David Tiller in tw- uh, 2009. Shit. And uh, Cheryl Sollinger has been accused of involvement of that as well. Not tried, but accused of. Mm-hmm. So, for that case, both were invo- in contact with the murderer, who was Scott Roeder. Okay. And David Newman's organization um, moved to Wichita to focus on Tiller the doctor who was killed, actually. That's the whole reason they moved there, was to focus on this particular doctor. Yeah. So, Roeder, the murderer of Dr. Tiller, was sentenced to 50 to life with no possibility of parole, and he expresses no remorse for his actions. Okay. George Tiller was wearing body armor when he was killed because he had survived an assassination attempt previously, but he was shot in the head while serving as an usher during a church service. Wow. So... I would argue that um, Cheryl Solinger has not checked out of the uh, idea of menacing and violence as a way to stop,
0: quote, yeah. stop abortion. She's not a, she's not, uh,
1: yeah. No, In she's case. not a pacifist. And Operation no. Rescue denies any involvement. However, Scott Roder has discussed publicly, he has said out loud publicly that he discussed whether killing was a good solution to the Tiller problem with Troy Newman. And Troy Newman said, quote, he wouldn't mind if he ended up dead. And when Rotor yeah. was arrested, on his dashboard was a note that said Cheryl Operation Rescue, and it had mm-hmm. Operation Rescue's phone number on it. And Cheryl has admitted to having contact with him in the past, but denies involvement currently. Um, wow. She admits to giving him information, however, as to Tiller's whereabouts of all of his and all of his court dates. Tiller's home address, contact information, and updates of his location were constantly being shared on Operation Rescue's website under a portion of the site called Tiller Watch. <laughs> um, and that was reported on Rachel Maddow in 2015. <sighs> Dang. Yeah. Wow. Um, Newman has reported that he has shown up at Tiller's house. He admits to this. He is before he was um, killed. He admitted to showing up on major holidays to Tiller's house in order to make him feel unsafe at all times because he didn't want him to ever think he was off the hook. So he would sit outside of Tiller's house on holidays to menace. He has also been quoted as saying that the murder of doctors who provide abortions are quote, justifiable defensive actions, end quote. And he has attempted to quote, create an atmosphere so inhospitable that no nurse or doctor or secretary can bear it, end quote, at clinics, And he attempts to, again, quote, unsettle and disgust their friends and associates. Jeez. Yeah. They have called their mission a, quote, abortion holocaust in the past and had come up a lot of fire for that and had to delete all
0: their wording about that. Yeah, I would imagine.
1: And Newman is also an outspoken anti-LGBTQ advocate, or activist, I should say. And he's quoted as saying,
0: quote, you'll love this, gays have a higher rate of a mental illness than do straights. I mean, we do have higher rates of, like, suicidality and stuff, but that's generally because of oppressive and hateful environments. Right. Not right. and
1: he also is this is a good one he had claimed previously that when obama was in administration he said that he had a obama president obama had a secret gay life because he had gay friends and that uh yeah he he believes that the existence of the queer community threatens the u.s and that god brought upon the recession and extreme weather as retributive how do you say that word
0: retributive i don't know that's a hard way i would skip it (laughs) retributive
1: punishment for the tolerance of of the gay community so climate change is the gay's fault yes yes yeah he says this Mm -hmm. and he's and cheryl is the only other person on the staff with him they are like partners in this organization this is who she affiliates with this is who she proudly stands by and shares beliefs with okay In 2015, both MediaMatters.org and The Bridge Project reported on Operation Rescue and their involvement in anti-planned parenthood propaganda videos that were going viral, and their involvement in anti-abortion violence. And they exposed the group for participating with people who run a newsletter called uh, The Prisoners of Christ. And these people send letters back and forth with people incarcerated for murdering doctors and bombing clinics. And they communicate to these people in prison with the names, locations, and personal information of doctors (sighs) who are currently practicing, so that when they're released, they can go after them.
0: God, that's scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really scary. And there's a video that you can watch where the the doctor is talking about, like, her experience being, like, stalked, and it's it's really... Oh,
0: terrifying.
1: So, yeah. in addition to plan- targeting Planned Parenthood these days, Cheryl is tweeting things like, uh, these are her recent tweets, abortionists worship Satan. Another mm. one, Tiller was no saint. <laughs> okay. Mm. She mm-hmm. also believes that Donald Trump will win the court cases and will be named president. Hate to hate to burst your bubble, Cheryl. She's got <laughs> a lot to say about that lately. <laughs> and actually, I don't hate to burst that bubble. <laughs> Fuck off, Cheryl. Yeah. And a recent article on Operation Rescue, if you kind of want to know the sort of uh, media that they're putting out these days... Uh-huh. It, the title of the most recent article I found was uh, Special Report: China Virus Contract Tracing, Those Behind It, and Their Links to Abortion Might Surprise You. And it's a bunch oh of pictures of Democrats.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. And that's the end. That's the end of this case. God, I for- I forgot about the whole Obama gay, like, <sighs> My rumor thing.
1: Pathetic. Jesus. It's pathetic. I saw a lot more about David Tiller and Charles Solinger as far as, like, things that they've said, things that they've been in the media for, and they're all pretty despicable, but they're all sort of, like, them—it's obvious, like, them desperately trying to further their, like, rhetoric and conversation, so they'll just say yeah. the most sensational— Right, unfounded to things to yeah. get attention. And it doesn't seem like they're often successful. Um, yeah. but obviously the David Tiller thing brought up a lot of attention to, uh, operation rescue. It's very, she, yeah. re- if you look at a picture of her and like, just get the vibe from the, the mm. website, it's very, um, what's her name? Tyra King. Oh, Carol. Yeah. It's very Carol Baskin feel from her. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> oh, wild, yeah. oh, wild Cheryl. Yeah. Wow. Well, great job. Thank you. So how would you rate the episode? Okay. So the first rating is like enjoyment level, right? Yeah. Like how, how much were you, Okay. And part of, and I will say like for the most time during law and order, I'm kind of like rolling my eyes at how bad it is. So when I say like enjoyment, it's a low bar. <laughs> right. Right. It's enjoyment and not in the level of like, oh, this is like a um, cinematic
1: masterpiece. It's like, oh, this was enjoying to watch because I had a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> basically yeah. it provided a lot of uh, co- uh colored commentary i would yeah. say are we one to five or one to ten i forgot oh no it's uh a through f oh <laughs> i definitely forgot
0: okay i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a c yeah just I a think standard this one c. landed in the c's which i feel like of the episodes we've watched so far it's the one that had probably the l- like I think Grevy was intended to be gross. Like, I think that was really intentional. Right. And so I feel like this was one of the episodes where they weren't, like, unintentionally, like, homophobic or racist or whatever. Like, the the moments where they did do, like, weird sexist shit seemed, like, intentional choices as opposed to just, like, the showrunners
1: being sexist or whatever. And they had a character who actually reacted in a adverse reaction in an adverse way. Like the reaction that I have at home to most of the things, which normally don't get reflected on the TV (laughs) screen. You know, we actually have someone who was like, oh, my God, gravy. You're like, oh, my God, you really what is your issue? You have a character like Stone who never uh, publicly says I, you know, support the pro-life movement, but it's alluded to throughout the whole, like, order Episode. part of it, yeah. where yeah. he's like, you know, a church-going man and has this moral opposition to abortion, possibly, but he, the whole time, is like, I don't care what I feel. Right. I'm prosecuting a crime, an attempted crime, and an actual crime, you know what I mean? So you actually yeah. have some sort of back and forth that's more valuable than the usual, uh, <laughs> back and forth that ends on the wrong side of the law.
0: Yes. So how yeah, would you see. So, yeah. Okay. I'll give it a C C two for kind of watchability. What would you give it for how well it deals with the issue? Uh, you know, I'm going to give it a C minus. Okay. I'm going to say better the than Cs. they've been doing.
1: Yeah. I, I don't want to go as far as D because I, okay. I think it's better than some of the other Ds.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would agree with you. I'll give it a C minus too. Nice. We're in agreement. Well, you can rate us, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And you can also email us at um, RippedHeadlinesPod at gmail.com. And uh, find us on social media at RippedHeadlinesPod. Nope, just RippedHeadlines on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Yes. Reach out. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, tune in next week. Next week. Goodbye. Bye.